Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. Joshua chapter 7 is where I'm going to be. Joshua chapter 7. I was thinking about the message this week, and I almost put a sign out in the atrium with a camera next to it, this sign here, just to find out how many people would actually try to touch whatever it was to see if it was wet. How many of you do this? You, you see a, something like caution, wet paint, it's, somebody's raising their hands, right? How many of you touch to see if it's, why do you do that? Right, it's really clear instructions, isn't it? Caution, keeps you out of a mess, but many times, I know I'm not the only one, we bypass clear instructions that are meant to help us for whatever reason, and we get ourselves into a mess. I was thinking about this uh, when I was in high school. I think I was a senior, and uh, the high school in Kinderville, Indiana, is by a lake, so when it rains, sometimes it floods. And uh, I was getting ready to jump into my Renault Alliance. This is what it looked like. Woo, hatchback. Didn't look that nice. Uh, but it had rained that week, and so we're getting ready to leave school. And the principal and the teachers were telling the students that had driven that day, do not drive to the south end of the parking lot because there is a large puddle. So go on either side of the parking lot. Really clear instructions. Do not go to the So what does a high school senior boy do? You got to try it, <laughs> Right? speed matters, so whatever it takes. So I jump in my car, I head to the south end of the parking lot. Yes, there was a very large puddle. As I'm going through it, I recognize that there's water now coming in at the bottom of my doors. It's bad. And then I stopped and I opened my door. Second bad choice. I close my door. I realize I'm not going to make it all the way through, right? I should have listened. And so I put my car in reverse. It was a stick shift. Put it in reverse. And as I put it in reverse, began to back through the water. It violently ripped off the engine cover out of the bottom of my car. Three bad things, right? And it was really clear instructions. Do not go to the south end. Why do we do that? Bypass clear instructions. Is it because we're in a hurry? We know better? Right? There's probably a myriad of reasons that we do that. Do we do that in our spiritual lives? Likely many of us do, and we're probably in a good company because when you read Scripture, people got really clear instructions and skipped them. Here's an example, book of Genesis, really early on, uh, book of Genesis, And the Lord commanded the man, Adam, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's not a lot of ambiguity in that instruction, right? You're free to eat literally anything, but do not eat from that tree. And what happens? Bypasses good instructions, and we're paying the price for that mess today, right? It, we all do this. When you, this, this, the book, the Bible is full of examples where people get really clear instructions for whatever reason they bypass those, they end up in a tragedy. So, so here's, the, here's the 
challenge. Here's where we're going this morning. Wouldn't it be great? Think about this question. Wouldn't it be great in our lives if we could stay closer to the instructions of God instead of drifting into life's messes or tragedies? Wouldn't it be great? Or are you perfect and you don't get yourself in any messes? If that's you, we'll just connect later. We can find out how you're doing that. But likely it's all of us, right? We live at a time where we have countless number of choices that the world presents us. And many times when we take our focus off God's instructions, we drift off into things that we're like, well, how did I get here? I want to remind us that we're in this series. This series is called Drifters, When Wandering Turns Into Tragedy, where we're looking at some of the tragedies of the Bible and how people drifted. And today I want to look at this character. His name is Achan. In Hebrew, it's Achan, but if I did that all morning, you'd look at me weird. So we're just going to call him Achan. And it's in Joshua chapter 7. You may not have remembered if you read Joshua, or you remember the walls of Jericho, that story, how many times did Joshua have to walk around the walls of Jericho before the walls fell down? Seven. So some of you know the account that we're talking about. But buried in this account is this small nugget story of a man named Achan. And when I have read and prayed about that story, I thought it was really important for our lives this weekend. And so I want to read give you some background, Joshua chapter uh, 7, but I got to start early. It's like three chapters. We're not going to read three chapters because we don't have time to do that. So this is sort of a Steve summary of what's going on. So some of you know the walls of Jericho. Joshua's leading the Israelites. They get to this large city wondering what to do. And God said, you got to walk around them seven times on the seventh day. Then you're going to blow trumpets. The walls are going to come down. Then you're going to go in and you're going to plunder and kill and take the territory. So Joshua hears this. He's, he's retelling the Israelites what to expect. And so as Joshua's retelling that, in Joshua 6.18, he's telling his army, all the people, he says this, keep away from devoted things. Here's what devoted things are. They're things that are supposed to get, be given to God. So as you take this territory, as you go to Jericho, you're going to see things that look enticing. Do not take them. They go to God. And he goes on, do not bring, uh, do not, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction, bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his, the Lord's treasury. You find nice stuff, it's not yours, it goes to God. Those are the instructions. Pretty clear. But what we find out in Joshua chapter 7 is this. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua doesn't know this. The only person who knew about the secret plan, about taking secret stuff, is Achan. And so Joshua thinks, thinks things are going great. The walls of Jericho are down. He sends a small group of his army up to a smaller battle. They end up losing. 30-some guys end up dying. And Joshua is confused. What in the world? We just saw Jericho get torn down by the power of God. And now this really small battle we lose and he can't understand. And so he falls on his face before God and he's crying out, what is going on? And in verse 10, 
the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things they've stolen. They've lied. They've put them with their own possessions. That's why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Joshua now knows why they lost. God's presence has left. It's frightening. And he wants to figure out immediately what's going on. So he starts asking people, bringing people before him, who stole the stuff? Verse 20, Achan replied, it's true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done when I saw the plunder of a beautiful robe of Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and I took them. They're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. Joshua said, why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all of Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, which is his family, his entire family got stoned, they burned them. It's a really happy Sunday morning message. Here's the deal. I see in this some things that we could learn about not getting into messes of our own making. So before I tell you what I'm seeing and praying about with Aiken's story, let's pray. So Lord, I, uh, I'm guessing, God, that all of us in the room would like to stay away from tragedy. And so will you open our hearts, our ears, and our minds to this message, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's what I see in the text. Aiken's secret plan led to unintended consequences. Plural. Unintended consequences. There's more than one. Here's what I see in the text, Joshua, uh, Joshua 7, so Achan steals some stuff, but it says this, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan took some of them, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Isn't that interesting? You may not find it interesting, I do, because the Lord's anger didn't burn against Achan, the Lord's anger burned against Israel, but against the whole community. Why in the world? This, 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 every time I read this, I wonder this. God, why weren't you singularly pointing out Achan's mess? I mean, even at the end of the text that we read today, who gets the punishment? It says, then all of Israel stoned Achan, and after they stoned the rest, his family paid the price. It, not, in the account, Achan doesn't say, well, my family and I dreamed up this thing. And, no, it was him. Why other people? This is the reality. This is probably not new news to you, but when someone sins, many times the impact of that sin goes well beyond the person who created the problem. It hits other people. I talked about Adam and Eve earlier, right? So Adam and Eve eat from the wrong tree, and that sin has now splattered to all of humanity. You can write this in. Sin's impact splatters on others. That, that's the consequence that I see with Achan. His consequence splattered against the 30 people who died in a battle that God's presence wasn't there, and his family. Another unintended consequence that I see 
in this. It's like, okay, your family had to die for this. That's bad. But, but what's the other thing? It's almost as, as painful and stark. In Joshua 7, 12, the Lord's meeting with Joshua, explaining what happened. He's like, well, somebody stole something. And God ends with this. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. God's telling Joshua, I'm not going to be with you anymore until you fix this. My presence will not, and Joshua realizes in that moment that the reason they were able to successfully take Jericho is because of God's presence. The reason they failed against a small army because God's presence wasn't there. Joshua realizes without God's presence, I don't have direction, protection, guidance, all the things that God's presence brings. You can write this in. God's presence is the solution to the problem. A consequence of sin is it creates separation between God and us. If you read on in the account, Joshua 7, 8, 9, 10, what you find is the presence of God comes back and they're able to advance. They get guidance, protection, land, because God's presence is there. Just a stark theological reminder. If you are not a follower of Jesus, you are alone in your sin and how your sin splatters on others. You don't have the guidance of God, the protection of God, and you have to clean up and pay for your own mess. That is a dangerous place to be. But the good news is if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're baptized, you have the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in you. You are presence carriers, which means you get the guidance, protection, healing, all the great things that the presence brings. We, it's the good news of the gospel of Jesus. We have the presence of God with us. Even when we make a mistake and sin, we have direct access back because Jesus is sitting with the Father, interceding, praying for you right now. That's good news, isn't it? That's the great news of Jesus is we are presence carriers. God's presence is the solution to, this pro- this, to any problem. And our posture should be the posture of Joshua. If God's presence isn't in it, I don't want to do it. And I want to run back to the presence of God. So here's a, a poke before I get to my next point. If you this morning are in the middle of a secret sin, stop it. Because likely that's creating a separation between the full presence of God and your life, and that is a dangerous place to be. And I do believe God is asking people, stop this morning, there is a better way. God's presence is the answer to any of those problems. So Achan's secret plan led to two unintended consequences. If we know the consequences, what I find fascinating when I, when I read the rest of the text is this. Achan's secret plan led to, this next thing, a confession progression. <laughs> confession progression. So Achan's in front of Joshua, he knows he has to confess. When I was reading this, his confession, what I noticed, I'd never seen this before. 
he outlines this progression. He outlines what he did in, in really intricate detail. And there's this progression that I think the Holy Spirit poked me and said, look at this. Because this is the way many times in Scripture and in our lives, things start small but grow into a tragedy. And so I want to look at Achan's confession, and I want to give us keys to stay away from tragedies and messes and drift less than we have been in the past. So here's, let's look at Achan's confession. He says this, when I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, when I saw them, pause just a minute. Assume you're Achan. You're in the middle of Jericho, plundering. You're you're in the middle of a moment in history where you can literally see what the presence of God has done around you. The walls of this large town have fallen, and now you're winning against this large city. You can physically see the miraculous elements of what God has done. And in a moment, Achan saw, he looked down, and he saw that weighs about the robe and the silver and the gold, about 12 pounds. He sees 12 pounds of stuff. And he took his eyes off the miraculous of God and looked at the stuff. And that was the start of it. That was the start of the temptation. Which is fascinating when you look, go back to Adam and Eve, garden of good and evil, or the garden tree of good and evil. Look what happens. Genesis 3, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, her eye sees that fruit and she is tempted. King David later says this. One evening, David got up from his bed, walked around to the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Your eyes, the window to the soul, your eyes see something and it tempts us. So if Achan's sin, his drifting, his tragedy started with what he saw, and many of the sins in the Bible starts with what we saw, what should we have? You can write this in, we should have a right focus. A right focus. So what do I mean by a right focus? Let's look at scriptures. King David. I don't know if he wrote this psalm before or after he saw the naked woman on the roof bathing. But he writes this. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. King David says, I keep my eyes. And his eyes drifted multiple times during his life. But he knew at his core, if he could keep his eyes focused on the Lord, he would not be shaken. Are we keeping our eyes always on the Lord? Let me give you a a quick example of this. Every now and again, I work with uh, Hope Ministries in downtown South Bend. It's a homeless ministry. I was there this last week hearing from some of the employees that work there. There's a lady there that uh, works at the front desk of this homeless mission. Now, you can imagine this homeless mission downtown South Bend every now and again more frequently than you realize, things happen at the front door that are not amazing. Arguments, disagreements, things that shouldn't be said, 
people wandering in who don't live there, angry that there's not a bed open. And here's this woman who had been employed there 10 years at the front desk. And she's describing the last 10 years. But the way she describes it is fascinating. She's not talking about all the problems she sees. She's talking about how Jesus shows up. She's talking about the hope of the gospel. She's talking about the mission. She's talking about her focus on the Lord every day. And she cannot wait until she gets back to work and works there another 10 years. Her eyes are focused on the Lord. Not on the problem, not on the pain, not on the alcohol, all the other stuff. What am I focused on? It's the first thing that Aiken talked about. Look, let's go back to the confessional. Let's look at the second thing. He says, I, I saw these things, and then what does he do? I coveted them. It's not a word we use a lot. It's in Scripture. It's in one of the commandments. To covet something is to desire it. And, and it goes on. One, one person's uh, perspective is this. Coveting is desiring anything other than God in a way that betrays a loss of contentment and satisfaction in him. To covet is to have a heart divided between two gods. To covet something is to have something move from your eyes to your heart and move from, that's fascinating to, I have to have that because what I'm getting from God is not enough. I'm not satisfied from the great things of the Lord and now I'm coveting something and making another God of it. I'm dividing my heart. So here's a key, here's what I see. If we want to stay out of messes, what we need is, write this down, an undivided heart. Which is what it says in Psalm 86. Teach me your way, O Lord. This is a great prayer in itself. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Are there things in our life that we have stared at enough that it has told us a lie that those things are better than the things that God provides for us? And now all of a sudden, we don't believe that God is enough. We're not satisfied with him. We're discontent, and we move ourselves into a mess. He is, Jesus is more than enough for us. As I look out this morning, and see you all, you are highly favored and blessed. Let me say that again. We all have junk, right? But God has provided for you. Is it enough? Because if it's not, we'll have a divided heart and we'll start coveting things. And that's dangerous. That's the second thing Aiken talked about. The third progression in Aiken's confession is this. He sees it. He covets it. That's the last one. We'll get to that in a second. And he took them. He took the things. Saw it, coveted it, took it. Just as a reminder, he was told specifically, those devoted things are to be an offering unto the Lord. And what Achan did is he saw those things and made them an offering unto himself. Achan's miss, but our opportunity, our key to be out of messes is to make an offering to God. That's the feeling. You saw that just a second ago. An offering to God. What should we offer to God? Romans 6. I know we're 
right at the end, you fill the last fill in the blank out. It's easy to mentally check out. This is important. Romans chapter 6, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. That's exactly what Achan did. But rather, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer ourselves to God. Our entire life. What, what does that look like to, for us to offer ourselves to God? I think we need some practical thoughts here because we can get real lofty about this. But here, here's what that means. Taking what God has provided you and make it an offering back to God. He has given us all time. God has given you time. Today, this week, it's in front of you. Are we using the time that God gives us to be an offering back to God? Are we spending time with our neighbors, our work, uh, people that we work with, our family, in such a way that it's an offering back to God? Are we being pleasing to those around us, building one another up? Talent. You all have talents. Your talents are different than mine, but God has imbued you, created you in such a way that you can do something that the person beside you cannot do? Are we using those talents to glorify God and, and using them in such a way that they're an offering? Or what about treasure? We are blessed. Are we using the things that God is providing us financially to be an offering back to God? The, the bigger question is this. Think about this. Is my Life and offering to God. If your life is not an offering to God, then you are offering your life to another person or to another organization, and you're being used. Is your life an offering to God? Aiken's confession progression is, is this outline. If we flip it, it's an outline to stay away from messes. To focus on God with an undivided heart and make our lives an offering to the God who provides everything that we need. As a reminder, Aiken's secret plan led to unintended consequences and confession progression. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to move into a time of prayer. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.